How's everybody doing this morning? Are we doing well? I'm in a good mood. And, you know, not to say I'm usually in a bad mood, but this is, it's great, you know, like it was cold this last week, the sun's shining, and it's like, this is the point, you know, in late, you know, fall where you're like, 47 feels like a heat wave, you know? You're like starting to strip off layers, put the shorts back on. Like, it's good. It's a good time. And I'm glad to be here. Uh, Hey, welcome to Echo Church. My name is Steve. I'm one of the elders here, but uh, my wife and Kelly and I were like at the very beginning uh, started the church, and what we've done over the past few years is transition. And before I start, I just want to say there's like a pastoral thing, and it's because I don't get to speak as much as I used to. I was looking at my calendar. This is the least amount I've ever preached at Echo Church, which is probably a good thing for all of us. But since this is my last thing, I think I get one more before the end of the year, which is a lot, but you're getting a lot of Steve late. But I I just want to say this is one of the shepherds of the congregation, is that I'm very excited about what is happening here in the church. Like, you know, you, we've been at this for 13 years now, and some of you have been here for long points of time, and some of you have just joined us recently, and there's always, you know, ups and downs in the life of the church. And over the past year, years, we've transitioned, we've brought in, you know, staffing to try to do some, some great things, and then you're like, okay, how does that work? Like, do we become a bigger church? What happens? Well, the thing that I'm excited about for you all is that I see that you are growing in relationships, that we are truly becoming a place where somebody comes into this fellowship, that they have an opportunity to join the family of God. And that's what people are truly seeking right now is this opportunity to be a part of a community and you are making that happen. So I'm, I'm proud to be a shepherd of this church with you and I really think that we're on the cusp of some great things for the kingdom. And I've got to just really acknowledge just the, our ministry staff um, with Kendra and Dylan and Chris and Seth and how they are leading us through this. Like this, there's a lot of good things that are on the horizon for 2019, and that's just going to take us to do it. So this is maybe my little thing, is over the next few weeks is Christmas. I know one of the reasons we're part of this church, hardly any of us are from Cincinnati, so it's like, okay, this is the holidays where we start to go out and leave this, and we're just going to say, hey, we're going to be here. If you have the opportunity, even though travel gets tough, try to prioritize. Be here with our family. Let's celebrate this together and being part of the community. Is that a Good deal, just let's keep at this. There's some good things happening. So what we're doing today within our teaching time is that we're wrapping up what uh, was a mini-series, just three series which have been titled To Follow Jesus. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I didn't want to say this is the series by which we're going to talk about stewardship and money because that usually has a, you know, a, a note of depression. But if you've been with us for the past few weeks, and if you've not, I believe the messages are online, you can go ahead and, you know, listen to those if you were not with us the past three weeks. But the reason that we wanted to talk about it within the scope of following Jesus is that our stewardship, the way that we manage our resources and our finances, ought to be an outpouring of who we are as followers of Christ. So if we truly believe that God made everything, and we are redeemed through the grace of his son Jesus. If we buy into that narrative, then we have a perspective that outlasts anything that we could purchase or do with resources here on earth. And because we have that perspective as Christ followers, that should impact everything we do. So I like to view things within a triad. If you notice, this is like, you know, the, um, the basically the Irish uh, trinity um, um, 
image right here. And I, I like to think of things in three, and I, I don't know if it's a mnemonic device or if it's just because I can say it's, it's biblical. I don't know, but sometimes I work best within that framework. So over the past couple years, I was really like, what does it mean for us to truly be good stewards? And from a, from a characteristic way, what we talked about in the previous weeks was first, it requires us to be compassionate for our world, that we need to have a view of heartbreaking for the needs of the kingdom all over the place. And for some of us this last week, uh, the International Conference of Missions was in town. Uh, I, I saw many of you down at the conference this week. You had a chance to see what God is doing all over the world through some of his servants. And we talked about that at a local level too, that we here at Echo give 20% of our offerings all automatically to people that we support all over the world. And one of the reasons that this is a priority for us is that we then recognize that what we have now, our resources, are designed to bless the kingdom of God everywhere. We have that awareness, and therefore we must develop hearts of compassion. That's something I would challenge us to continue to do. We have the list of our missionaries on on, on site. You will find things that you can support globally. We want to see the work of the kingdom and have compassion for what God's doing. Last week, we talked about this idea of being generous toward our neighbors. And you know what's great? I'm looking at this crowd, and the best thing about this week that we had a lighter attendance. That was the lighter attendance of these three sermons because last week I gave everybody in attendance $5, and that's not even a joke. So if you showed up last week, you're like, I got a fiver out of this deal. But the thing about that, that was it wasn't just for that we said, hey, it's the generosity challenge is that you get $5, bring $5 on your own, and find a way to bless people in ways. Because when we develop an attitude of generosity, what we're saying is like, look, we are just stewards of the resources. This is all God's. So eventually I'll be gone. I might as well develop a mindset of giving stuff away. And you know what? For me, it was rolling into the waitress at Skyline that managed the gaggle of people who decided to go last week. Like she was the beneficiary of it in my world because I was like, look, here's a good tip. And she was excited. And I didn't tell her I did that because I preached on it this morning and I was going to use this as an illustration next week, which I ended up doing anyway. But from this idea that we need to develop this mindset and attitude of, look, we are just stewards of the resources, and therefore we need to be generous. And that's something that God's people are called to be is generous. So if you look at the triad, we're talking about this idea, you know, compassion for the world, that's the, the broadest angle. For us to be generous to our neighbors, that's more of the personal contact angle. Today, I want us to look a little bit more introspectively and discuss this idea about us finding balance in our life. Now, that sounds maybe like a Zen concept and not a Christian concept, but I'm going to tell you that this is a concept that is biblical of the Lord, and it's very key then for us to develop. And actually, that's when I first uh, was trying to picture, like, what does this look like for us? I I was going to start with balance because maybe you need to begin with balance. But the thing for us to remember, though, is, is that in trying to find this balance on ourselves, it should be the last thing that we prioritize, okay? Because when we really see that God loves the world and that's where our heart should be toward the world, and then that is expressed through our generosity to people with whom we interact, 
that that requires then for us to work on self. We usually start with self and hope that that trickles down everywhere. But what we're trying to do is invert that concept and say, look, if I have lenses to see bigger things, then by the time I'm getting to, to self, I'm working on that not just within a selfish perspective, but in something that's going to be the benefit for what God is doing through the church and through us. So in doing that today, I want us to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now, this is what's interesting is that we preached through Ecclesiastes earlier in the year, but I didn't preach on this text. But at the same time, I think Kelly might have preached in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. But what was funny is that um, at the same time she was, I was preaching somewhere else where they gave me, you know, this uh, assigned topic. And I'm like, look, I'm going to use that text. So she did a bend on it here. And this is something that she didn't touch on because she's a you know, good preacher, but not that good. Um, I'm just joking love you. Actually, she's better than me, which is the problem. It, yeah, it's done. It's done. Trust me, Joe, I've lived this out. Like, I am in a continual cycle of just always trying to make up for things. That's what happens when you snooker somebody into marrying you that's out of your weight class. But getting distracted. She didn't touch on this point, which is something that sometimes gets lost in the richness of this text. And Ecclesiastes, if you'll remember, if you were with us during that study, and even if you're not, it's this wisdom literature in the Bible, and we don't know exactly who wrote it, but it's this collection of just trying, uh, this teacher looking at the span of the world and seeing, what does it look like for me to live well? And caught within this, I was online this year, as I'm prone to do, and I saw this thing that I had never heard of. And you guys are familiar with Pythagoras, right? Now let me go back to, you're familiar with Pythagoras of Samos, Everybody, right? You remember at least his name? You remember it from math class, from geometry? Right? You, you know the Pythagorean theorem, correct? Like, and, but you're like, maybe I do, and I, it's A squared plus B squared equals, there we go. Some of you are engineers, I hope that you jumped on that. But Pythagoras, who lived over 500 years before Jesus, was not just a mathematician, but he was one of the first philosophers. So he really tried to see the way in which the world existed. So this is, this is what was interesting. I'd never known this, but this, week, this year I was online and I saw this and it made me think about this. Is Pythagoras would sit around, and back then, by the way, wine drinking in the ancient world wasn't just for inebriation, but it was a you know, byproduct that some people saw it. Because back then, with the water supply being suspect, people would drink wine that would ferment, you know, it'd sit around because it was safe drinking, right? But that meant if you were always drinking wine, like some of us drink Diet Coke, you had to find some sense of moderation, right? You're like, this is good drink, and then the next thing you know, you're stumbling on your way home, or, you know, you're pulled over because you're driving the chariot awkward, however that works out. So... So Pythagoras noticed, like, look, I've got some friends in my community that just are knocking back wine like it's going out of business. So he, he envisioned this way of creating a specific cup that would be detrimental to this process. And it's known as the Pythagorean cup. So you know the theory. I'm introducing you to Pythagorean cup. Okay, I don't know if you can tell the design, but the design of the Pythagorean cup, you would, you know, see it on the left and it would have this arch, but what you wouldn't see is the hole underneath. So that if you understand even plumbing, which I was doing some plumbing work this week, it's always crazy because you're like, why isn't the water flowing? Well, actually, gravity and air move it as such in in a way that it's fascinating. You can see the cup design here uh, on the left is that if you filled the glass at moderation, then you were going to be fine. However... If you fill too much wine in that glass, what you're going to see is it siphons out the bottle, and you can see there's a hole within the cup. 
So that if you poured too much wine, it would just begin to leak all over the place. And I don't know, like I can imagine like what Pythagoras was thinking between coming up with mathematical formulas and designing special cups. You know, and especially if you had that cup, I'm assuming it would be at like your house. So there's probably just wine everywhere. But it was a way, I think, of just trying to show people this thing of balance, of trying to practice moderation. And you know what I thought about this too, is you're like, hey, I'll, you know, some of you were like, I would network that, right? You know, you're like, you just drink lots of little cups and then it gets you there. I don't know. But this idea of balance is something that we struggle with, correct? We are usually creatures who like excess. And by the way, when I'm talking, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, I'm I'm talking about we usually lead into one side of just trying to um, formulate what you might say addictions to things because we struggle so much with balance. Now let's go to Ecclesiaster chapter 7. Look at this. That's why you get paid the big bucks, friend. What's funny is that that's your OCD where you're just like, that has to happen. So I'm, I'm glad that we can do this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Caught within the middle of this is just this random uh, description and in, in the idea of the meaningless of life. But I love this. It says, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Verse 17. Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Now, maybe you've been in church for the longest time, and there's some general messages that come in and out and weave their way back into existence. And one of those things it would probably be, you know, you, you should not be an evil person, right? Like, it's something that ought to be avoided, that we have a propensity to sin and do things that are wrong. So it's a good thing for us to be Christ followers to eliminate that sin. You know, the, that's the, the, the $3 theological term sanctification. We are becoming saints. We, we are sancta, meaning holy. We're trying to become holy people. But the thing that I love at the beginning of verse 16 is like, don't also be overwise. Like, don't be too smart. And we've demonstrated today that I'm a great model of that. So no illustration, just look at me. But this idea of do not be over-righteous. Like, is that something you've ever heard of at church? Like, you know, in us raising our children, you know, I'm just like, hey, Kaylin, you know, go to school today, learn a lot, work hard, and by the way, you know, like knife a guy in the hallway because that'll help you become a well-rounded Christ follower. Like, do a little evil, burn something, you know, slash a car tire, just something that will help your spiritual development. You don't really look at Ecclesiastes for this guidance, right, that you should not be over-righteous. Okay, why? Why are we saying that? Is the writer, the teacher here really trying to tell you, like, you know, a little mission now and then will get you by? No, it's not just that he wants us to be over, you know, like, wants us to do some evil. What he's trying to say is that our perspective of the world will take us to places that can have adverse effects, even if you're like, I'm trying to be the best person in the world. Because why? What happens to people who are usually fascinated with righteousness, about them trying to become great and good people? Well, in that framework, sometimes they think that their righteousness is achieved through self. They no longer rely on God to save them. And in in essence, they try to become saviors themselves. What the teacher is trying to tell us there is that as much as we can see the negativity of the extreme of being over evil, right? 
over evil. There's real evil. He's also saying that we need to beware of becoming too good because we perceive ourselves as ripping God off the throne and trying it on for size. That we think we are salvation. And that next verse that follows in Ecclesiastes here, there we go. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. It's become one of my favorite Bible verses because it's something that is profound. Whoever fears God, and we understand what that means, right? The biblical fear of God. Because some of you are like, look, that's my, that's my baggage within Christianity is that like, you know, I was raised in a place to where God was so distant. I would offer that for a lot of us today that might not be where we're at. Like fear can be a healthy thing. Think of fear as respect, right? Like I don't fear the electrical outlet because it's something that's incredibly beneficial to me because it provides power for the things that I want. At the same time, I respect it enough not to stick a metal knife into it so that I'll be shocked, right? So don't think of fear as this thing that keeps us from God. Think of it as a healthy respect. And having a healthy respect for the Lord ought to, evolve, ought to include our avoidance of extremes. And that means on both sides of the spectrum. So we need to be balanced people. The scripture is imploring us to find balance in our lives. So we'll think about this as we've been talking the past few weeks within a stewardship framework, but I think it has applications even if we're not talking about our resources, how we manage our our finance. But I think we see the extremes within living. And those extremes can be excess, this idea that we will indulge ourselves whatever we believe should come our way. Like, you know, excess is me not pausing to purchase something or, or, or to do something with my time because I think I'm entitled to that. And we today in America, we're a society that is inching closer and closer to being the society of excess, right? And if you think about that, the society is setting itself up for us to live in that way. You know, the one thing is that, you know, again, this is me as a 40-something Gen Xer to think about, is that when I, you know, use my phone, um, some of you have, like, you were, like, Kaylin now at 13. This is, like, Kaylin illustration day. She shouldn't have come to church. But, like, you know, she has a phone now. She's 12 years old. And, you know, I remember when I was, my dad had, like, the first cell phone when he was out on a job site. And he's like, Steve, I need you to call, you know, the office and ask them this. And I had the big old, you know, Zach Morris massive phone on my ear. So I remember being somewhere out, you know, at 14 years old, talking on this phone, and like this couple like walked by and just like, look at Mr. Fancy Pants, like the kid has a cell phone. And I was like, no, this is like my dad's business phone that probably cost a few thousand dollars a year, like at the end, you know, at the, at, at the very beginning of it. Well, now we're at the point where, you know, the evolution of phones means we have all this stuff. I'm not a good texter, so if you try to text me and you're like, why, why isn't Steve good at it? Because I remember the day when texting cost you, like, you know, 40 cents per text. And as such, I'm like, no, you know, I'm like, I'm very conservative my, with my text, right? Or I will, like, you know, use it as, like, my Twitter, you know, character limit. You know, I'm, like, putting massive text because I'm like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to use it all up. Okay, so our, our society now is at the point to where texting for almost any, anybody still pay per text? Like, if so, I don't know if there's a phone person out there we can help. Nobody does that. So therefore, it's like, we're living this place now where it's like, text to your heart's consent. Like, throw any which emoji you want in there because it's all good. 
And you might say, like, okay, that's nothing within my life spiritually, but it's a microcosm of what's happening in our society. As we continue to advance in technology, we're going to to push toward living in times of excess. That we can have whatever we want. And it's so easy now because, again, digitally, you can have everything you want and you don't even have to go anywhere for it. You can buy your groceries online. You can have everything you want. We are a society that's inching toward excess. But I have to put this in here because I think it's the same thing. Is that then there are people, though, who are like, I don't appreciate that. So they rebel to the opposite end of the spectrum. And they live in utter frugality. And, you know, there's entire websites that talk about people, you know, who are trying to limit their consumption. And, you know, maybe they have, like, five different tiers of recycling, and they compost, and they, you know, they they don't purchase anything. Maybe, you know, like, plastics is of the devil. I just heard a, you know, like, there was an environmental theologian, like, was speaking at this conference. And, you know, the nice little... uh, you know, intern dude, you know, gets him a cup of coffee or a cup of water because he was speaking and he couldn't do it. So he hands him a styrofoam cup and the environmental theologian just was like whapped it out of his hand while he was speaking. Like I heard that story this week. I was like, that's good stuff. Why? Because he's like, no, that kills everything. We have this point where sometimes we live in this frugality. And really, there's been a new hip movement within Christian finances to try to live in that place where it's like, look, you're going to find your peace in your frugality, and therefore you're going to monitor every single dollar that comes into your stead. And I will tell you, as much as that's a discipline, what it is doing is it's pushing us to extremes. So as much as it is wrong for us to live in excess... Right? Because that is being horrible stewards because we're not showing compassion. We're not extending that outside of who we are. At the same time, abject frugality, at the same time, will limit our generosity. And when we can't be generous, we can't have those opportunities to live those out, we are not living within balance. So the excess on one side, the frugality on the other, shows that we are not living in balance. Now, this is why this is a difficult teaching. Because then what is balance, and that is not uniform, right? It's going to look different for you and for I in every different situation. So while I can give you guidelines, maybe your problem is that you lean towards frugality. Maybe your problem is that you lean towards excess, and you have to find out where that balance is. That's flipping hard work. That's why we don't enjoy it, because it forces us to think. But friends, the key to being a Christ follower is not sacrificing your intellect at the door but making sure that your intellect is formulated by the scriptures and the moving of the spirit so that you can find balance. Find that in all aspects of your lives, but especially in how you steward the resources of the kingdom. So, how do we avoid our, our extremes? Three things for you. Number one, I think we have to avoid our extremes in the everyday. Okay? Every single day, we have the opportunity to become Christ followers of balance. And you know, it's funny, even when you're looking at disciplines right now, I will tell you that diets or financial plans or just really even training plans, there's these things that exist called cheat days. Like, you know, and some of you are like, I live for the cheat day, right? Like, I, I will be on this diet, and I will only eat certain things, but then Saturday's going to come, and I'm going to explode that sucker up and have me, you know, the supersized Big Mac combo meal because it's what I want. By the way, that's my flavor, in case you want to know my love language. 
finished a marathon a few weeks ago, and I made two trips to McDonald's in subsequent days because I was like, that's my go-to. And uh, yeah, it's really healthy food. But here's the deal. Every day we have the opportunity to determine how we will live in balance. And for some of us, that's, that's tough. So what you have to do then to achieve balance is sometimes to disrupt your life. I'm going to tell you that I believe that this is the spiritual principle behind the discipline of fasting. Because one thing that we do with regularity every day is that we eat. What is fasting? Fasting is a break from the norm. And you might think, well, there's some spirituality that happens when my stomach is growling. And it is because what you're realizing is that this is something that I normally do. When I take myself out of the rhythm, I notice how key it is to my life. When I don't eat for a while, my stomach tells me I'm hungry. And in the same ways, friends, I think we need to employ fasting in our lives to have balance. Now, some of you are like, look, I I have... Um, I'm hyperglycemic, uh, I need to have you know, certain things to eat, that's fine. I'm not even talking about this from a food aspect, but maybe sometimes even within our purchasing. Like, I don't know about you, but I develop rhythms in my life. I work out of the house right now, and my rhythms have changed. But when I was working in an office, every day I would stop at United Dairy Farmers, and I would pick up my 44-ounce Diet Coke, because that's, that's how I slammed them. I'm, I'm a little, drink a little less, but that, that was my Kentucky coffee. I would crouch in that, and then I, I would go to the office, and I would just slam that sucker every morning. Why? Because it was this habit that I had. Now, fortunately, that compared to my you know, craft coffee cup, it was a little uh, more affordable discipline. But every once in a while, I would be like, okay, am I addicted to caffeine? Like, you know, how bad am I? So I would just try these experiments to try to say, I'm going to shift this, I'm going to fast from it to go without, so that I could determine if I start to get the headaches real bad, then it's not just something I'm indulging in, it's something that I'm probably addicted to. So I'd have to rein in that balance. And I'll tell you here, a few years later now, I I still, you know, drink me me a Diet Coke, I still have my coffee, but I'm always in the point of trying to regulate that. Financially, I think there's intermittent fasting that you could prove. If there are purchases that you're making with regularity because you think you deserve it, even if it's within the confines of your budget, I would encourage you, try a fast every once in a while. Go without. One thing I try to do every once in a while, see if I can go the whole day without spending any money. Right? And it's difficult when you're like, man, gas is, you know, like, am I going to be able to make it because my car is low on gas? Sometimes you just have to stop and put that within the framework of saying, I'm going too fast to make sure that I'm living in a place that my consumption does not define me. Every day, you have the opportunity to do that. I think that's something that we need to employ. You know, I, we have the everyday. We also have the, the extended So the everyday is important because it's these small little habits that will help things expand, but also the extended is something that is helpful too. Because even with that, you know, longer time period, we are sometimes prone to impulse, and the worst possible impulse are these impulses that are larger purchases, right? This is sometimes what some of us are in the point with. You're just like, look, uh, my computer's slow. I'm just going to go get me a new laptop today. Right? And then you end up sp- spending far more than you ought to have in that period because you're indulging. You're like, look, here's a need. i got to fill it. I have the opportunity because I'm connected in a digital world. I'm just going to do it. And maybe, you know, that's like kind of a middle example. But friends, I've seen people do that with automobiles. You know, like, it's Monday. I'm going to get a new car. And then they go through the process of this thing. The, the issue, though, then, is that is it really a need or is it just my impulse of excess 
that is not allowing me to find balance in my calling. And again, this is very, this is like, you know, basic like financial primers, but I'm telling you, friends, I believe this is a spiritual discipline too. Because if you are impulsive on these big, if you're impulsive on these larger items, then you're not gonna have the bandwidth to be as generous as you need to be. So look, we all have larger item purchases that we will make. Maybe you are home buyers or you're thinking about that right now, right? Maybe you're, you know, you're like, I gotta get the new car. Maybe it's something in your house or apartment. Or maybe even it's an educational opportunity. Maybe you're like, look, I've got to get that master's degree and I'm going to invest in that. It's not that any of those are bad, but we need to approach it with a discipline of balance because that's what we're called to do. For us to be good stewards, we have to exercise that. So I think the big thing to do with the extended is to really give yourself a safe time limit to really explore and examine. Is this something that either I need or something that it is, you know, I'm investing in myself and what is the cost of that? Because, and some of you are going to amen on this, the escalation of student debt under which some of us are suffocated is really, I think, the result of the impulsive nature that we have to get what we want because we think that's what will move us ahead, right? Like, hey, you know, it's a lot of money, but I'm going to spend on college or on my master's degree. I'm going to flush that in right now because at the end I'll make it back, you know. And then they're like, oh, man, I should have picked another major. Or maybe I should have gone to a different school. Use maybe your best resource. And I'm even going to say maybe. I'm going to say use your best resource that God has given you to steward your time to your advantage. I'm telling you, friends, I think that is a biblical piece of advice that you need to sometimes defer the impulse purchase that you have so that you can make a better informed decision that does not then limit the generosity that you can execute, the generosity that you can give to other people. I'm gonna go last one, and I think this is the summation then of everything we've been talking about about the past few weeks, is that you know there's balance in my daily life, there's balance in what I achieve over months and years, but friends, there's balance in my eternal perspective. And this is what we've been trying to show through this entire discipline of us figuring out what it means to following Jesus. And that's something key that we miss so many times. We live in the here and now. There are wants, there are needs, there are trials, there are victories, but at the same time, friends, they're here today and they will be gone. They'll be gone. And what do you do with it? As much as I want to say I live life of balance, I usually don't do it perfectly, especially within my scheduling. Like I've been on my marathon of, um, of work the past few months. I, I get the pleasure where I can kind of manage myself really, you know, like I get to manage my schedule. It's, it's a blessing of my job. So then what I do is I try to say, okay, here's the season. And I know some of the ladies have been at Bible study at our house and you'll see my offices right there. I have this big like calendar that I had up on my, on my, um, my glass Sharpie board for a while, you know, my, my board. And I actually mapped out all the days and I color coded them at different levels. And the reason why I did this is like, okay, that helps me keep on point. And man, I'm just gonna tell you all, I have been on the season of just burn, 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 burn. And Thanksgiving week for me is like my cheat day, you know, like I'm, I'm just like, I'm gonna release and I'm finally going to do that. And then, but you know what the problem is? I'm not going to release. Like I've already told Kelly, hey, I'm taking this week easy. I'm going to go. And right now, already on my desk, there's the thing stacked up that I need to do. 
Now, some of you have this at work and life and things that you're working with. That's fine. But man, the problem is, friends, is that as much as I get into this, at someday, as much as I appreciate my well-color-coded calendar, it will mean nothing. It will mean zero in my life. Even the jobs that I've done, maybe they'll have some eternal resonance, but probably it's just me making sure I'm getting here. And as much as I want to be invested in that, I want to be invested in something greater. I want to be invested in something that's going to make a difference. Quite honestly, I want to be invested in you, in our church, in who we are. I want to be invested in the things that are going to you know, last for a long time. You know, and again, this man, this is the triad kid, so I owe you 20 bucks for this. But even bringing up Kalen being a parent, as much as I'm investing in my daughter, really I'm investing within her because she is going to meet the same end that I will eventually too. But I'm hoping that through that time that she will see the value of eternity and that she will use her resources allocated her to bless altogether. We're stewards of everything that God has given us all he's asking for us, is to, and it's a challenge, is to use them well. So I want to end where the, we started at the beginning of this service with a scripture from John chapter 1. And you know this, you know, like there's four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are known as the synoptic gospels because basically there's a, you know, like similarity within the stories that are told. Like they have narratives, starts with Jesus early, either his birth or, or just the beginning of his ministry, ends with his death, his resurrection. They're very similar. And then you get to the gospel of John and read John and John is more poetic. John, you know, if you have a red letter Bible, you know, they lost a lot of red ink on John because it's a lot of Jesus just speaking about things. And the thing I love about John chapter 1 is that poetically it's supposed to emanate Genesis chapter 1. Because if you know John chapter 1, the beginning is uh, the same as the beginning basically of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and that's Jesus. And Jesus with God was there in the beginning. So there's this whole parallel. But I'm going to say there's this verse in the midst of it that you know, might not seem pertinent to this whole conversation of balance, but I think it's key. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it's very biblical speak, but just really quickly, I want to just look at this real quick. Grace and truth. Grace and truth is the polarity of the work of God among us. Okay, we, we get grace, right? Acronym, maybe God's riches is Christ's expense. We know that grace, that's what Jesus did. It was his sacrifice that gives us this gift, this, this unearned gift that gives us life eternal, right? There's that grace. But then there's truth. And really truth in this usage is synonymous with justice or holiness even, if you will. And this is the thing that we don't like to talk about that, but we try to teach this within the church because we want people to be balanced in their understanding of who God is. But the truth is what requires the grace because God is just, and we know that God is sinless, and as a result, when he comes to heaven, he wants no sin. He is holy. The holiness of God established. Holiness is the antithesis of sin. It is abhorrent in his mind and in his sight, and he wants nothing to do with it. So God's holiness is repulsed by you and I because of the sin that we bring to the table. But 
The grace is what saves us because grace is the unmerited excusion of the truth. Are you tracking here? That's the polarity right there. Grace and truth. And here's the thing that is important for us to know about Jesus. As much as Jesus was love, as much as Jesus taught some amazing things, as much as Jesus died for you and I, recognize why he died. He died because of our lack of holiness. But that was part of his DNA. Because when Jesus came down, he was full of both justice and grace. And friends, that's why he's Jesus. That's why we follow him. But I will tell you this truth. That's what we're called to emanate. And that's what balance is, is understanding both sides of this and how do I make that work? And I'm just gonna reiterate this, friends. It ain't easy. It's difficult to do. Because some days I'm all about justice and some days I'm living in the grace. But he calls for me to follow him to live in the middle. Do me this favor as we think about as we conclude all the stuff we've been talking about, with what God has given you, see your world from a compassionate lens. Make sure that you are being generous to those around you and let's live in balance and be people of balance as God has called us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done in our lives, that we who are not worthy of grace, Father, receive it, that we who have spat upon your truth, Father, have access to this, That's, that is mind-boggling. But as you continue to help us see how we better steward the resources, the time, the talents, the treasures that you have blessed us with, help us to be people of balance who are not prone to excess or frugality, but see our world in the way you do, as a world lost in desperate need of a savior. Forgive us our sins. Help us to be better stewards. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.